Hey, Oriole fans, welcome to another edition of Yard Work on MassInSports.com. Along with Masson Orioles beat writer Steve Molesky, I'm Brian Eller. Steve is joining us from Los Angeles. Steve, how's the West Coast, man? It's Disneyland out here, Brian. I'm going to go hang out with the kids in a few minutes. Well, don't be careful. You know, we got to get game game on Monday, you know, so. <laughs> Can't have too much fun out there, so. I know. La La Land is here, so uh, it'll be a fun road trip, and it'll be nice to be out here for it. I mean, Anaheim's a neat place, and I was here last year, and so uh, looking forward to that, and some big games coming up. Yeah, I'd say the Orioles certainly uh, had some fun on this most recent homestand. Um, I mean, we, we haven't recorded in a couple weeks, but I know the last time we did, it was uh, it was a lot of doom and gloom. And, you know, I think that was just kind of the, the, the Orioles' current situation. I mean, again, it was it, it, even to this point, it's still not late enough in the season to, for anybody to be out of it. But a couple weeks ago, they were really looking like they were trending downwards. And it's amazing what a, a three-week stretch can do. Obviously, the Orioles kind of look a little bit different with some moves at the trade deadline, which we'll, we'll get into but um i think this 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 brief homestand against the royals and tigers where they came out with a five and two record uh, was was pretty uplifting heading into what can be a daunting west coast trip even though some of the teams out west are, are struggling a bit but um boy steve as they sit now there there are two games out of the wild card spot and um only one game under 500 for the first time since i think the end of june june 29th uh it's a shame the rest of the division is playing well too but um i really don't think you could have asked much more uh from this this brief homestand before they hit the west coast well, I think what um, the headline has been here in the last week or two is the starting pitching took a turn for the better, a big turn for the better. Went from being, you know, potentially historically bad for the Orioles to, you know, their ERA uh, over the last nine games through uh, Sunday for the starters is 1.95. And over the last 13 games, it's 3.13. I mean, that's that's good. I mean, we, we've been saying if they could just be average, let's see what the team could do. And they passed average and went to good. So they're not going to pitch to a 1.95 ERA the next uh, 20 games, I don't think. But, um, you know, uh, there, there has, somewhere along the line there had to be some upward trends. I mean, they had their ERA for the starters got over six. I mean, that was just horrendous. And so uh, it's down to like 5.6 now. I mean, it's been a long stretch of not good starting pitching, and finally they've gotten some. And that's why they've won seven of nine, the biggest reason, I think. Do you think there's any specific reason to it? Is it is it just that maybe the pitchers got to a point where they really had nothing to lose, so uh, things were a bit more aggressive, or is it? I know the cliche is you know you're only as good as your next day's starting pitcher, but I have to think when the when the when one or two guys or you put together strings of three or four starts in a row or quality starts or maybe they 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 extend it so you don't have to use the bullpen. I feel like that can generate some confidence throughout the entire starting rotation, and they kind of feel like okay, you know what? Yeah, we 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 do have some talent. Let's go out and and, and kind of feed off of that a bit. I mean, I wish I knew what what why turn Brian and if it's going to stay that way because um uh you as we've said before when a team is going bad you say things like if they could just go uh 14 and 6 wow what 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 would that 3 weeks mean to them and the fans say there's no way they can go 14 and 6 look how bad they are but as I've said to fans all year no team going bad looks like they're about to go on a hot streak we never say, you know, they're playing terrible, but I, they're going to go on a tear any day. I can just tell. And, but they do. And so the ups and downs of the season, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think Gosman's a big key, and he's obviously commanding the ball better. Uh, whether there's a specific reason for that or it just got better for him finally, I'm not sure. Bundy, it seems like when he gets extra rest, it can be big for him. 
um, and they're going to have to massage his schedule. And Hellickson had a great debut. Uh, you know, he hasn't had a great year. We know that, and he gives up some home runs. So we're going to see how that plays over time. But the first uh, the first outing was really good. Sure, and, and you know, not to put a, a damper on it, but I guess in terms of news items from the the rotation is is Chris Tillman uh, moving to the bullpen for a little bit, and I, I certainly I wouldn't think that comes as a surprise. I mean, he's he's really struggled, uh, you know, at, coming back from that injury. He's one and seven with uh, an ERA over eight uh, through fifteen starts. Um, ju- just reading uh, his comments, he you know he he seems to understand. Obviously, he's a smart guy. He kind of knows the the writing on the wall there, and and we've seen it. I guess work is a, a relative term. We've seen Ubaldo Menes kind of obviously go back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen and, and, and have some success because he, he seems to maybe take a little while to get to get things going. So I think it certainly can work for Tillman, and, and hopefully that's uh, um, beneficial for him. But I, I guess is that, that's got to be the right move at this point, wouldn't you say? Uh, I mean, he pitched his way out, and, and they had six starters, and um, they weren't probably going to go too too long with six. And so it does create a bit of a roster problem because he cannot be optioned and he's not a bullpen guy. And so we're going to see how this is going to work, if they just pitch him in blowouts or how how they'll need him or won't need him. I mean, it's a real unknown here. But what was known is Chris's ERA got over eight, and that's stunning for a pitcher who's been so good for this team for so long. And, you know, when they had six starters – um, someone had to go, and Castro looked like he's out pitching him. That, but but he's not in the rotation right now. But so we're going to see how this is going to work with Chris Tillman, who has just had a miserable year, and you know he got a lot of chances. And I think he he's probably there's some segment of him relieved at this move because he's a gamer. He's going to take the ball. He's not going to go into Buck's office and say bench me. Uh, he's going to say I'm going to I'm going to get this fixed. Give me another chance. And so Buck had to take that decision out of his hands and say, Chris, take a step back. Uh, you just haven't pitched well enough. You know that. And so we're going to try something else um, and see if it can work for him uh, and the team. Right. So we'll keep an eye on that and see how Tillman does out of the bullpen. Hopefully he can kind of uh, get some confidence back and, and start to lower that ERA because uh, certainly a valuable asset in, in the starting rotation as well. But like you said, it does create sort of a roster jam and uh, it would create six man in the rotation there, at least for the time. Um so it's been a week since the, the trade deadline passed. Um, again, the Orioles kind of made news for some moves that they did make, and they made news for maybe one move that, that didn't end up happening. Um, so we'll, we'll hit on those. But I guess the, the two two names that really stand out that the Orioles acquired, Tim Beckham and, and Jeremy Hellickson, as we talked about, um, I guess for since we're talking about starting rotation, we'll start with Hellickson. I mean, he's only made one start. Uh, you know, as an Oriole, but it was uh, pretty darn impressive. You know, seven innings, uh, no no earned runs given up. Um, and uh, for those who don't remember, he was traded for Garrett Clevenger and Hyunsoo Kim and some international bonus slot money there. Um, I, I guess, Steve, I guess the maybe the, – I know Dan Duquette in the front office, they, they were looking to acquire a, a veteran starter all year. I mean, even if the pitching had done well, they, they kind of said that they were always in the market for, for looking for some veteran arms there. Um, but I guess do you think this move – which was kind of a lukewarm reaction from fans. Some fans were saying, okay, they didn't seem too excited about it. But um, with Bundy kind of being stretched out for innings limit, I feel like it was kind of good to get a veteran arm in there, and maybe that can kind of help give him some extra rest when needed. Uh, Bundy I'm talking about. Just your thoughts on the Hellickson deal. Uh, I mean, Hellickson is a good pitcher uh, over most of his career. Um, As we know, he's done well in the American League East. He did really well last year, which got him the qualifying offer this year, and he hasn't pitched as well. 
he he needs his command because he throws you know, throws ninety ninety one real good changeup. He's got some good secondary pitches, and he was on his game in that first Orioles start. He admitted to some nerves, but he didn't show it in the game. And so um, he is a veteran gamer. You, you wouldn't expect him to be, have to, to be too nervous, or you know, nothing would be too big for this guy. He's been around. What we're going to find out, Brian, is if his command will hold to the level he had that first game, he'll do real well. But when that command slips and some of that 90-91 finds more of the plate than it did, we're going to see how it, how it works because he is a fly ball pitcher. I mean, I think there has to be some concerns long-term for Hellickson, but the Orioles only need him to be good for about 10 starts here. If he can get on a little roll, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a race that looks like it's going to be close that they've gotten into, um, it could be big. And and how much do you think his acquisition plays for 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 Dylan Bundy in terms of giving him extra rest, or do you think that just it, this was just a veteran arm that is good good to acquire that they felt like a good opportunity to take advantage of? I don't think it's tied to Hellickson because, um, you know, I think it's more tied to off days and how they can massage the schedule and, um, you know, they're gonna the Buckner out 180 innings for Bundy. That sounds a lot to me, but we'll see. And I just think he, um, when he's pitched on normal rest, he's had some issues lately, but he's had some some extended rest a couple of times and seems to work. And I think the message it's telling us there, and even Bundy admits he's not sure how it's going to go when he's on extra rest because he hasn't done it very often. Uh, so he's it's new it's new territory for him. But um, if they're going back to five now, it's going to be harder to give him extra rest. There aren't a lot of off days coming up. But we're going to see how he does here. Um, it'll be a big start for him on Monday night. People will probably know how he did when they hear this, <laughs> pending how fast right. we, we get it out there. But he's pitching this opener. You know, he could he could set a nice tone for the road trip here Monday night. All right, so the only downside for Hellickson is he can only go down from his uh, his his first start with the Orioles because that was that was pretty darn good. So we'll we'll see how he pitches uh, out on the West Coast there. And I guess Steve on the other side of the ball, uh, Tim Beckham uh, acquired a uh, shortstop, and he's uh, he's certainly a talent. Nobody can argue that first overall all draft pick there, and he's had a pretty good half dozen games uh, in an Orioles uniform there. He just seems to uh, he's hitting five eighty three after after Sunday's game. Um, and it was 14 hits, and he's got some pop. He's got three homers with the Orioles, including the 10,000th home run in, in team history, which we'll, we'll touch on briefly there. But um, uh, just your thoughts on Beckham. I know it's only small sample size. Obviously, the average is, is not going to stay there. That'd be pretty darn impressive. But um, just what, from what you've seen from, from Beckham so far in this small sample size. I mean, yeah, we've got to see more. He's got some offers coming but when, you, when you go 14 for 24. But, I mean, uh, the couple things I like about him, he's a very athletic player, obviously. He brings some speed. He brings some energy to the team. It seems like a lot of the Orioles knew of him or knew him or both and very embraced him, uh, as the Orioles have done in the clubhouse in the last few years. When new players come to the team, either up from the minors or from another organization, they immediately get embraced, they get welcomed in, they get made to feel comfortable, and I think that helps. It's a big thing in this Oriole clubhouse. And so Beckham, uh, he was delighted. You know, I, I've seen a few players over the year, Brian, you know, they come to a team and they say the right thing, excited to be here, hope to help. You know, they pull out the, all the, uh, you know, the cliches from Bull Durham. But Beckham went beyond that. I mean, this guy was said he was thrilled to be here. You could see it on his face. He was just delighted to be here and, and embraced the opportunity and hit the ground running and got a curtain call the other night and has done a lot right so far. He had that one error that hurt. 
but he's also made some good plays, and so we're going to see how it plays out. I mean, he, as Buck said, sometimes when players come to a new team, one of two things happen. They get off to a great start or a terrible start, and it's pretty clear which one Beckham got off to, and he's going to ride that wave. For sure, and I, I, what do you think this kind of presents with with a JJ Hardy situation? Again, I know he's he's obviously come nursing the injury there, and he's he's only signed through the end of this season. Um, and and I know there were some fans talking about how the farm system there there really wasn't a ton of depth at the shortstop position, so this was kind of a a, a nice pickup there to add some depth again. Uh, who knows if Beckham is the long-term option there. Uh, he's certainly got the talent, but I guess your, your thoughts on kind of what that means for the overall position or, or future for, 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 for the Orioles. Well, they had a player who has team control through, I believe, 2020, so that's good. He can be on the team uh, even beyond this year. If J.J. Hardy is not an Oriole next year, Tim Beckham immediately becomes a candidate to be the 2018 shortstop. And so it's nice to have a piece in place. Ruben Tejada's here. He could be a candidate. They could acquire other candidates. Uh, Manny could get moved over. There's a lot that could happen in the future of the position, a shortstop in Baltimore. But it's, it's nice to have options and some depth there. And so we know Buck is loyal to the veterans. We know he'll be loyal to Hardy, and he said Hardy's going to be shortstop when he returns. The question, there's two questions. We don't know when that date is. We know when he can be back. We don't know if he'll be ready by then. And we don't know how Beckham will be playing by then. And if he's hitting 500 like he is now, you can't take him out. So he could create a dilemma for Buck, but I guess it would be a good one if you have someone playing too well to leave the lineup. Certainly, that's a good problem to have. We saw that with Trey Mancini. So, um, so we'll, we'll see. Like you said, it's a small sample size for Beckham. We'll see how, how he uh, continues. But, there, yeah, a lot of options for, for the Orioles at, the, at that position or that side of the infield. And um, oddly enough, as we mentioned, it, the 10,000th home run in, in franchise history, Beckham uh, came off the bat of, of Tim Beckham there. And if you, uh, I know that's who you picked in, in, in the pool, right? So you had your, money, your prediction on, on Tim Beckham to hit the 10,000th home run in, in Orioles history, right? I mean, it's pretty pretty stunning stuff for him, and pretty neat milestone that the the team just passed. All these uh, round numbers they've been hitting with home runs, twenty five hundred, I think, in Camden, and five thousand at home, or something like that, and ten thousand for the team. So, uh, only four teams have hit that many since nineteen fifty four, and the Orioles are one of them. It's hard not to get desensitized a little bit because the Orioles, I just feel like they, they hit so many, and especially over the past you know five years or so, it's just not that not that they're boring. It's certainly still exciting to kind of see the ball fly off the bat, but but my goodness, it's it's it, there there've been so many, and it's just you almost kind of go, oh yep, all right, another home run, especially with such such power in that lineup. You know, do you ever feel that way? I mean, it's it's they're fueled by power, and they just uh, they all have been in recent years and. You know, the Orioles have, through a Sunday, 43 games where they've hit two or more homers, and they're 31-12. and 12. I mean, 31-12. and 12. <laughs> That's like, that's Dodger-like, you know, how well, how well they're playing. Now, you, that means you've got to get the home run. Some games they don't get any or they get one, and the record is not nearly as good. But if they can get two or more, and a lot of times two or more means three or four, they get wins. It's, pro- it's a proven formula for them but they've done it 43 times out of what 110 some games so you don't do it a lot but they're they're capable of bashing the ball and um, usually good things happen when they do 
Absolutely, and, and I don't know if, if, if fans were checking out the Mass and Sports website. Uh, there's a, a cool graphic about just the all the different stats about the Orioles' home runs over the years, and um, you know it's interesting. A good piece of bar trivia for for anyone who wants to study that. Uh, Tim Beckham again, the ten thousand home run. The first Oriole home run was by catcher Clint Courtney. Um, I'm going to plead ignorance on that. I have no idea who that is back in April of uh, 1954 there, but um, 40 home runs on Utah Street. Chris Davis has the most by an Oriole for, for Utah Street blast, which eh, probably not so surprising. But um, just to, like you said, one of four clubs to reach that mark, kind of kind of special to see that. Um, always fun to watch those balls leave uh, Camden Yard. So. Um, and I guess, Steve, in terms of the last trade deadline, again, the non-news was Zach Britton, uh, you know, still an Oriole. Um, and I, I guess it really came down to the fact that um, they, the club just felt like they, they weren't going to get the, the return that they felt they deserved for, for Britain. Um, so I, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the offseason. Again, he signed through this season. Uh, I think some fans were kind of saying, ah, it's a missed opportunity. You had to let him go because they're not going to be able to afford him, or you might let him go in the offseason for nothing. So I don't know. Just uh, Are you surprised that he w- was uh, is still an Oriole, and, and do you feel like there was maybe a missed opportunity for the club there? Uh, I was a little surprised because there was so much buzz about Britain. seemed like so many teams were fighting over him or going to. And, you know, there's been a lot written and said about uh, Britain still being here. And I go back to things that Rock Kabako from MassInSports.com reported, is that the Orioles had concerns about the medicals of some of these players that were offered. And I saw, maybe it was Ken Rosenthal wrote, that the Astros had six or seven or eight prospects they were not going to trade. And if they had that many, I mean, what good ones were were they giving up? So uh, I think what we don't know to judge is we don't know what they were offered, when they were offered. No one knows that. So how can someone call something a missed opportunity when we don't know the package of players? If you could tell me, here's the five guys they were offered, should they have done it? Um, we just, that, that's how it's interesting. Everybody's got an opinion, Brian. They screwed it up. They should have traded them. They shouldn't have traded them. And none of us know the offers. And you have to know the offers to know whether it's a, it's a trade you'd make or not. And people said, people told me over the years, would you trade so and so? And I said, well, tell me what is my offer for that player? So certain offers, I wouldn't trade them. And some I might, I might. So it's hard to know what all happened. I know Dan Duquette was on a radio show, and he said ownership did not nix a Britain deal, uh, I believe, on MLB Network Radio, I think. So it's just been a lot bandied about. I don't have all the inside inside information. Uh, I wish I did. I'd present it. And so Zach is still here. He can be traded after the season. Uh, I don't think he's a player with clear waivers in August, very unlikely. Um, so they're going to try to make a run with him this year, and then see what next year brings. I mean, his salary is going to go up to $15 million probably um, in the arbitration. And so uh, we're going to see what the future holds. I don't, I don't know what they'll do this winter, but for now, Zach is here. And, I mean, in the clubhouse, that was popular because they like him and they know how good he is and they know what he brings to the team on and off the field. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can't speak to to much about Britain, but I've met him a few times for some fan uh, interactions where they can win contests to kind of uh, meet him before a game. And he, the the couple times I've, I've sort of organized that, he's been so 
just friendly with with the, the fans that he's met and and he's uh so polite and and it was just really encouraging to see because not every player you know really puts the the effort into into some of those things um but uh, i think the Orioles as a whole do a really good job at that and britain especially he was just very friendly kind of as, as a as a fan too it was kind of nice just to see oh you know what britain he's got a good head on his shoulders and uh, again i kind of like the fact that he's still a member of this team because like you said i think even though the Orioles bullpen is the their strongest unit if without britain um i think having them just really makes their their, their bullpen that much stronger because you know hey he's still injury risk aside he's still one of the best closers in baseball there so I'm, I'm kind of encouraged that he's still in the club and especially with the fact that you know the Orioles are only two games out of a wild card I mean this season is not over so uh, if you if it were up to me I, I'm kind of glad that he's still on the team versus uh you know being traded for some prospects or, or other prospects. I mean, he's probably not throwing the ball right now quite to the level he did for most of last year. But I don't think he's far off. I think his velocity and his sink is almost there, um, and his command is probably just a tick behind that. And so I'm talking about the stuff is probably 85 90% of what he had, and the command is similar to me. And, and he's going to be close to both full go here, I think, down the stretch, and it's going to be big. I mean, he's – I mean, Zach Britton at 85% of the 2016 is still pretty good. That's just me. That's just my opinion of it, watching him. I think others think he's probably even beyond, beyond that. And he's, he's very close to the level of performance we saw last year, which would be exceptional for this team. So Britton, for now, is an Oriole again. Looks like he'll be through the rest of the year, and we'll see. He'll definitely be uh, the name, one of the names to watch in the offseason there. So uh, um, we'll check on that. But um, I guess, Steve, another thing I kind of wanted to bring up is the Orioles seem to really be keen on uh, giving away their their international bonus slots in exchange for players. And I, I, I've seen some comments on the on the, the blogs, your blogs and rocks, about they're, they're not – they're not really fans of that approach, and I guess just just your your general thoughts on kind of the Orioles' stance at at, at using these international bonus slots to to acquire players is that it just seems to be kind of something that they, not that they don't put value in, obviously, because they're they're getting players that they think can make a difference on, on the in the organization, but um, it just just does kind of seem to be a trend that they they are willing to deal the international signing bonus slots. They they do. They're adding players for them rather than them going unspent, unused by anybody. So I guess that is one uh, positive there. They're not totally uh, punting this thing. Um, and, if, and they've acquired some foreign-born players like this uh, Yafri Ramirez who pitched for Bowie the other night and is leading the Eastern League in wins right now, is, a, is having a good year at Double A at Bowie and was a good year at Double A Trenton. So they're getting some players who have international flavor out of these international slots, but they're not using them to sign these 16-, 17-, 18-year-old kids. And um, I'm not sure all the reasons for that. I kind of wish they were more involved with those young amateurs. Um, they have been over the years. You know, they've spent money on Joe Reyes and Afelke Peralta and players like that who are, who are doing well. And Jonathan Scope obviously was once an international amateur, signed out of Curacao way back when. Uh, who was their all-star this year? So they're 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 they're, t- they're not over here in the international, but in the last couple years, especially with these new rules, they have not been using those that money to sign uh, the international amateurs at such a young age. Rather, they're trading it and getting players that way. So they're getting players, and 
we'll see how it's going to pan out. I mean, they haven't hit big with any of these these guys yet. The one who looked most promising was Chris Lee, who they traded international bonus slots for, and he became one of their top ten prospects. And then this year he's kind of slid backwards a little bit um, in his development. Yeah, I think we were talking about Lee, you know, this time last year about, you know, possibly joining the rotation um, in the future. So, but you're right. The couple, uh, it's, it's just kind of something I kind of want to bring up because I know there are some fans are kind of, I, I don't think people, uh, you know, maybe the most casual fan doesn't know too much about the international bonus slot or what that actually means. And, you know, so it's just kind of just something, a trend that is kind of noticing that it's good to, to, to bring up for a little bit. You know? bring up for a little uh, bit. It's confusing because it is, um, they're not trading actual dollars. Uh, I guess each of these slots is assigned a value by Major League Baseball, and um, there's there's essentially a hard cap now on these signings, which you know teams are given 4.75, 5.75 million, and that's the total budget to sign international amateurs, non players you cannot draft. You can draft players from the United States, Canada, and Puerto Rico. Any other country, you can't draft. You can't draft a player from Dominican. You can't draft a player from Venezuela. You cannot draft a player from Cuba. Uh, <clears throat> you can't draft a player from uh, Australia. These have to be international signings like Alexander Wells, who's pitching so well at Delmarva, international signing by the Orioles. And so they do have, I mean, people who would say they have no international prospects, they're wrong because they have Alexander Wells, they have Jomar Reyes, they have Ofelke Peralta, they have Irving Ortega, I could name six or eight or ten other names, um, who all have promise. Um, they're just not doing it a lot this year, and they're trading these slots, and teams can, uh, my understanding is, uh, acquire up to 75% of their pool. So if your pool from MLB is $5 million, whatever 75% of that, you can trade to add to that, and make that $5 million, 8.5 or something like that. And then the teams that are adding have more money to spend. It's very complex what MLB has done, uh, and they've really changed the rules in the international amateurs. Yeah, so we'll we'll see if that continues to be a trend. But like you said, they, they, it's not, the cupboard is not bare when it comes to these, these international prospects. But uh, we'll we'll see how that that goes in the future there. But. Um, so, Steve, I guess just looking forward, as you said, you're, uh, you're out west. The birds are, are headed that way. They're starting the uh, – by the time fans hear this course, they'll be wrapping up the series uh, with the Angels there and then headed to uh, four games in Oakland and three at Seattle. Um, if I remember – if I have my facts right, this is the only West Coast trip of the year, which the Orioles have to be happy about. Last year, I believe they had two separate West Coast trips, um, like a nine-game stand and then a, a seven-game stand. That was partly playing the, uh, the NL West there. So that was – I know kind of a, a drag having to fly out west. So um, I, looking at the stats over the past couple of years, um, the Orioles have they've been okay on the West Coast swings there. They went four and five on the first one last year and three and four on the second one. And then uh, in 2015, they went four and five. So not not terrible, not great. But um, I guess, Steve, we're just looking for more of what we saw in this homestand here, some, some consistency with the starting pitching and, and an offense that seems to be uh, kind of heating up, right? Well, it's interesting, these road trips, because – some years they're broken up. They play like they're playing a three city, three completely West Coast teams here coming up: Anaheim, Oakland, Seattle. Uh, last year I was out and they played Anaheim, and then they went to Houston. And sometimes they go one or two, and then they go somewhere else closer to home. But in the last five years, I went back and looked at the schedule. 
they have had three three city trips, which is what they face coming up now. And they've done better than I thought. In in late April into early May of 2013, in a three-city West Coast trip, they went seven and four. The next year, when they won the division, they had a one in July, and they went six and four. And in 2015, which was not a good year, they had one around this time of year, and they went four and five. And so the, the three teams they're playing – Angels, A's, Mariners, in the last five years when they go to those venues, they are 28 and 29. So they've been about a 500 team uh, playing these teams out here in the last five years. Uh, they've had a couple of successful three-city uh, treks, which they now face. And they really do need, um, I think, Brian, six and four would be nice to be able to hold their own on the West Coast, maybe come home a game over 500, and if they went six and four on this uh, three city trip, um, they would come home over 500. They'd probably be within a couple games of the wild card, and then they could make the last dash push, you know, the last six weeks or whatever. So it's a big trip, and it's going to be interesting to see. And a lot of Oriole fans are going to lose some sleep here in the next week or two. Yeah, I kind of like the West Coast games. You know, if, you, if you're able to to stay up and, and watch it, it's kind of uh, West Coast baseball is kind of fun to, to kick back and. Uh, enjoy some little nightcap baseball there, but you're right. It's a it's a critical stand, and um, it, I'd say the only downside for the Orioles is as they're starting to heat up, the the rest of the AL East is is doing very well, top to bottom too. So it's it's not making too much ground up there. But um, and all you know, the way baseball's kind of going this year, I feel like you look at every team left on their schedule, and you can say, oh well, yep, they're still in contention, so they're going to be fighting hard. Yep, they're still contention. Very very few teams. Um, are are you know really looking on the outside for for a wild card spot at least so um, it should make for some good baseball but there's there's not an off day for the Orioles up until uh, the end of this this homestand or the road trip here so like you said we'll see if they can get through it there. It's kind of interesting to be here, um, you know, and probably all people have experienced this when they travel to the West Coast. You 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 almost you 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 don't lose sight of but you do for you'll you'll be typing your game story at 10 10 p.m local and then you'll look up and remember i wonder if anyone's going to read this at 1 30 in the morning in baltimore you know but but there's some people are up some people are night owls and some people don't have jobs where they have to be at work at seven eight nine in the morning and they they might be up and but we'll have coverage throughout this thing the rock will be on the last leg i'll be on the first two and we'll write when the game ends. We'll have a story up, whether it's one in the morning, two in the morning, back in Baltimore. There'll be something there for those who are still up to read. That's right. And somebody, I promise you, will be in the web studio up until the wee hours. Uh, I used to be, I used to be me pulling those duties, so I, uh, I know it well. So um, we'll check out and see how the Orioles do again. Hopefully, they can stay in contention and make the, uh, the rest of the season as exciting as, as, as it's been. So. Um, so we'll check in with that, Steve. Hope you have a good time out at West. And uh, Oriole fans, again, make sure to check us out on MassInSports.com. Um, you can follow the Yard Work Podcast on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and we'll uh, we'll check back in in a few weeks. All right, until then.